Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is finally near. And I can feel the change in the wind right now. Nothing's in my way. This is Dr. Jess Armline coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I sincerely hope everybody can hear me tonight. I've checked this thing three and four times, and <laughs> hopefully somebody in the um, <clears throat> in the chat room there will say, yes, I can hear you. Okay? Um, I guess we'll find out, huh? <laughs> anyway, Happy New Year to everyone. It is 2017. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, I'm very happy that we're all here together tonight. Um, I see people have um, already fill up the uh, the queue. Uh, as you know, tonight's going to be a question and answer night. You can ask any question uh, that you'd like. Uh, please understand that on this type of forum, I cannot prescribe treatment, recommend tests. In other words, I can't treat you specifically, but if you keep your questions reasonably general, I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, throughout uh, this evening, I'm going to be making some announcements about how our practice is going to be improved uh, over the next year. Uh, we're going to be adding health coaching in uh, with our own intrepid Cheryl Corsion. Uh, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about foundational medicine and uh, providing training for practitioners and so forth. But <clears throat> since people have already been waiting, if you want to call in at 646-595-2277, that's 646-595-2277. And if you're in the chat room, all you have to do is type out a uh, question, and I'll do my best to answer it. Okay, so let's get to our first caller. Nice person in the 717 area code. Are you there? Hello? Hello? Okay, somebody please tell me that. <laughs> That you can hear me. Okay, let me try this again. Hi, this is Dr. Jess. Can you hear me? Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. I can hear you. Wonderful. Let me go back up to the first person then. Thank you. Just keep holding on, okay? Thanks. Let me go back up to the first person. Nice person in the 717 area code. Are you there? 
I am here, but I just called oh. in to listen. I don't have a question. Okay, great. No problem. Thanks. Okay, nice person in the 501 area code. Are you there? I am, and I also just called in to listen. But uh, since you're, since I'm speaking with you, can you discuss dopamine and what are some natural um, supplements and foods that can increase dopamine when you have a DR2 just um, sniff? Okay. Well, you know that's a really good question. Okay. Um, the first thing I'm going to address is exactly what dopamine is and how you can tell if dopamine's up or down by certain moods, okay? <clears throat> dopamine is one of the excitatory neurotransmitters like uh, glutamate, uh, adrenaline, noradrenaline, so forth. Dopamine is a funny neurotransmitter, and I mean funny, strange, not funny, haha. When dopamine is very low, you can get a very significant depression uh, that's called anhedonia, which is a lack of joy, which is a very, um, very low depression. When dopamine is very high, okay, and everything else is working, you can get into excitation to the point of um, paranoia, psychosis, and when it's super high, this is where I see all my autistic children. Dopamine is your neurotransmitter of satiety. So when you have a nice meal and you go, ah, that's really dopamine. Okay, you get you know, ghrelin gets released from your stomach, goes up to your brain, and then dopamine's released. But it has to be picked up by the dopamine receptors. Okay, before you can get the or the whatever the response happens to be for your reward. So it's our um, that's where we get our rewards from. Um, the DRD1, DRD2, DRD3, and DRD4 SNPs are representative of the dopamine receptors 1, 2, 3, and 4. The most researched one is DRD2, which is considered the addiction gene. That research was done by Kenneth Blum, PhD. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, dopaminergic dysfunction there interferes with your reward system, and he reward deficiency syndrome. Okay, which is the basis of many addictions, basis of a lot of obsessive behavior, the basis of a lot of different things that are considered socially nasty. Okay, so your question is, how does one raise dopamine? Well, my question to you would be, why would you want to raise dopamine? Okay, if you're so, let me ask you a question back. When you're looking to raise dopamine, on what basis do you want to raise it? In other words, why do you want to go along that road? I can tell you exactly what to take, <laughs> but it may not be what you're looking to do. Uh, to raise that low-level, joyless feeling that you described. Okay. Again, a wonderful question. Okay, so let me say that there are some dangers in raising dopamine, okay? Um, if you're susceptible towards, you know, if there's a family history of any kind of mental illness, especially like schizophrenia um, or any of those the more serious ones, raising dopamine quickly, probably not a good idea, okay? 
And I'm going to, sh- I'm going to tell you the safer ways of doing this. <clears throat> the pathway involved is as follows. If you used phenylalanine, okay, or DL-phenylalanine, that would create phenylethylamine. It also creates tyrosine. Tyrosine essentially creates L-dopa, which creates dopamine. And then beyond that, you get norepinephrine and epinephrine. Um, more directly, you can use L-tyrosine, and I would use it in small doses myself. Okay, and even though the pathway says tyrosine to L-dopa to dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, for some reason, which gets a little complex, tyrosine tends to raise adrenaline and noradrenaline more than it raises dopamine. People who want to actually raise dopamine use um, something called macuna, macunapirians, D5 macuna. Uh, you'll see it sold as L-dopa. Okay. If you're going to do that, please go low and slow. Okay. Use a quarter of the dose. Work your way up slowly. Okay. If that's the problem, if that's what's causing your symptoms and you don't have any testing and so forth to, to point to it, you'll be safe like that. But if you knock a dopamine that's borderline and knock it straight up, you may not even realize that you're having behavioral changes. Okay, so if you're going to do that, that's the way to go about it. Uh, personally, if I were going to recommend to somebody in the blind, I'd say you use tyrosine first. Okay, and if you have any negative symptoms, anxiety, uh, nervousness, um, shakiness, just stop completely because, um, frankly, you're barking up the wrong tree. Okay, you'd be surprised. Sometimes you don't know where the low feeling is coming from. Okay, people talk about depression and they always think, well, serotonin. It's not always serotonin. Okay, it can be dopamine. Okay, it can be adrenal fatigue. There's a whole mess of things that can be said. But in answer to your question, and it's a really good question, I'm so glad you asked it. Okay, if you're going to raise dopamine, okay, try using the more indirect approach using tyrosine. If you are going to use Makuna, okay, um, Makuna Purians, D Makuna, D5 Makuna, they're all basically the same thing. Use small amounts, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, use small amounts because um, it can bite you in the hiney. It really can. And uh, you'll be like yelling at people and you don't know why, <laughs> okay? So did I answer your question for you? You did. And along with that, what about the. Uh some red sniffs in the GABA, GABA region. I'm sorry? G-A-D-A. Um, okay. GAD you're talking um, about. Uh, G- no, GABA, red sniffs in the GABA region. G-A-D-A, GABA. I know, I know GABA. Oh, no, I'm sorry, G-A-D. It's G-A-D, Thank you. you're right. <laughs> so there are no, there are no <laughs> <Yeah>. GABA snips. I was beginning to uh, question myself. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. um, GAD, another great question, is glutamate decarboxylase. It is what takes glutamate, which is a very highly toxic and excited, a very highly toxic excitatory neurotransmitter, and turns it into which is what our body right which what our body uses to calm down <clears throat> the cofactor in that reaction is b6 but that's that's neither here nor there really um if you have a lot of gad polymorphisms the tendency that i see is that you'll have difficulty taking glutamate and converting it to gaba so this is the kind of person who 
when they use monosodium glutamate, you know, um, or they get that in whatever kind of restaurants, finds themselves getting excitable, okay? Or they're trying to fix a leaky gut syndrome and they're using glutamine, okay, which is an amino acid, which is the usual go-to, which turns into glutamate and finds themselves not getting better or getting more excitable. So the best way to deal with that, okay, if you have the GAD SNPs, is to remember that you can't treat a genetic polymorphism. You've been, you were born like that. So if it's expressing, you have to get to the root cause of it. And sometimes you need to supplement GABA in the short term, okay? And sometimes uh, you have to look for the root cause of what's upregulating the system, okay? Uh, it's not a straight, easy answer, unfortunately, okay? okay. But the tendency, the, the things you should stay away from if you see the GAD SNPs is glutamine in high doses because when you use glutamine to fix a leaky gut, you're talking about 7, 10 grams a day. Okay, if you find yourself um, in different restaurants that tend to use monosodium glutamate, you're going to find that you're going to get excitable. Okay, and um, sometimes if you have an anxiety disorder, and that's one of the issues, uh, some people like to use phenylated GABA or liposomal GABA as a short-term fix, if you will, while the body's resetting itself. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to leave you on hold so you can listen, okay? Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're most welcome. Thank you. Nice person in the 250 area code. Are you there? Hi, Dr. Jess. It's Barb from Canada. Hey, Barb. How are you? I'm well. Good to hear you back up and running. And I appreciate that. How is everything up in the great north? Great cold. <laughs> Very cold. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not white, but it's cold. <laughs> cold, yes. <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be white at some point. Yes. Okay, what can, what can I answer for you, dear? Um, about, I'm asking about shears. My um, live blood cell analysis found a brain shear, and my osteopath found a, a shear in my gut. And I'm just wondering what the implications are of that. Would the gut shear affect motility or anything like that? I'm not familiar with the term. Um, uh, yeah, I wasn't either. Did you call it a, a, brain, a brain shear? Yeah, that's what she called it, a brain shear. And I wasn't sure what I'm, that was I'm about. I'm typing it out. I'm, I'm not sure exactly because brain shearing is, is a very significant brain injury. But um, I'm honestly have not heard the term, Barb. You know? Okay. Um, I think the gut, the gut one is a, like a mesenteric shear, I think is the full term. Yeah. Um, that, how do they go about, um, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, I can see that, but how would they go about recognizing that? I'm not sure the osteopath did. Um, she felt it. Um, um, and it felt like the gut was kind of stuck, you know, so I was just curious uh, yeah. if you... I um you know something I'm, I I never lie to people so I'm going to tell you that I don't yeah. uh, I've never heard of that so let me okay. look into it and and I know your number so I'll get back with you okay <laughs> okay because I just I'm thought very I'd curious try. about having it. all right thanks a lot Barb talk to you later okay bye bye. And 
Nice person in the 704 area code. Are you there? I am. And how are you tonight? Good. How are you? I'm having a grand old time. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year. Happy New Year. What can I answer for you? Well, with the new year starting, I definitely want to make a health a priority. And I really need someone to help me do do that. And you mentioned that you are going to have health coaching now. Say again? You mentioned that you are having health coaching now, and I was very interested in learning more about that. Well, you, you, you ought to know you're the one who's going to be doing the health coaching. <laughs> hey, everybody, this is Cheryl, okay, who's going to be our health coach. Right? Right. Unless I got a different yep. person. Okay. I am. And I, um, I, just, I just surprised her because I asked her to call and just ask a question, but I did want her to call so I could introduce her okay, to everybody on Blog Talk Radio. Cheryl Corsion's uh, our, um, our intrepid uh, assistant, but she's also a hellishly well-trained health, health coach. Uh, and I'll tell you how good she is. She's health coaching me right now. Okay, and I'm not an easy person to health coach. Trust me. Okay, she chases me around with the virtual stick. You know, and we are going to be adding health coaching to um, our the services that we offer in the office. And um, if you could spend just about 30 seconds telling people what you do as a health coach that's different from what I'm doing uh, and why we're kind of add that, why we find the need to add it to our um, to our offerings. Well, yeah, so a lot of people look to a health coach to help keep them accountable. Um, so a lot of people might even know what they should be doing, but they have a hard time doing that. So when they have someone like myself work with them maybe on a weekly basis, I am there to help educate them, to help guide them, to, um, you know, try to definitely give them some good foundations that they can start building on so they can be really successful in their journey. You're going to be doing also, you're going to be doing this as part of our treatment plan, the treatment plan that, that I produce, but you're also going to be acting independently for those people who don't really need advanced diagnostics and treatment, but need someone to help them along the, with their health goals. That's yes. right. There are so many people that have uncontrollable food cravings, and they really need to find ways to maybe avoid those cravings and maybe substitute other foods with that. And they need somebody who will literally hold their hand. And it's, hand-holding is not, is not a negative term. You know, somebody to get them and keep them accountable, like you said, like you're keeping me accountable, which is, uh, it's, it's almost scary when I have to talk to you. I'm like, did I do everything she told me to do? Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. But, um, but the fact is to have somebody who's really well knowledgeable. Uh, yeah, and even getting movement into their day and making sure they're very well hydrated, just simple little things. I mean, you know, a lot of times people think that they have to go really overboard and then they get really overwhelmed and they don't realize that it's a lot more simpler than they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they need somebody like yourself who is um, 
who has a length and breadth of knowledge and, and can make good suggestions. Because a lot of this can be overwhelming. Even some of the stuff that I throw at people, okay, can be pretty overwhelming. And um, as much as I try and be as available as I can, um, I'm engaging your health coaching skills because I can't do a lot of the stuff that I would like to do with each patient, and they should have that opportunity. So um, over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see some changes, people, in our website, and uh, you'll be able to uh, <clears throat> access Cheryl's services. Um, don't know exactly how it's going to work just yet. Uh, you can do it individually with her or as part of a larger treatment plan, and um, we'll make that available for everybody. Okay, but I will tell you that I trust this woman. She is excellent. She's intelligent. She's compassionate. She knows her stuff. Okay, so, you know, you know me, I don't work with anybody who isn't really, really, really good. So I'm looking forward to having health coaching as part of what we do here at the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine. And I know Cheryl's all kinds of excited. I am extremely excited. <laughs> okay. Extremely. And I do appreciate you calling. I, I did <clears throat> I realize I played a trick on you. Okay, but I You did. I know, I know. I'm gonna have to get I you know. back for that one. You're you're already you're already scaring me because I have to talk to you twice this week because I didn't talk to you last week. <laughs> you know, but the the, real, the reality is is that um, there's a gaping hole in in not what I do in, in the services because you know I'm human more or less, and, <laughs> and uh, there's a very great need for a holistic, knowledgeable, well experienced, well motivated health coach. You know who. Um, who, you know, really, really, really knows her stuff. And um, we're going to make that available to everybody. So sorry for playing a trick on you, but I appreciate you uh, coming by. And uh, we're going to be doing people a podcast interviewing Cheryl and explaining everything that she does. Please keep an eye on the website. If um, you don't get, uh, if you haven't been to my website, go to the website, put in your email address because you're going to get um, a uh, a movie on how to read your 23 and me. Okay. You're going to get that for free. Okay. And also you'll get notifications of new services and so forth. And, um, different from other uh, places. Um, I'm rather low edge about it. I don't, I don't chase people around. So we'll just let you know. Cheryl, thanks a lot for uh, coming by. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Nice person in the 408 area, 480 area code. Are you there? Yes. So this is Dr. Jessel. How are you? Yes, good, thanks. Um, My question is, I'd like to do some DNA testing and then, you know, possibly like come to, or not come, but have your office uh, help with that. What is the 23andMe test that I need to request or ask for? Really, really good question. 23andMe has gone through some changes. And uh, hold on a half second. And the testing they offer is the same, but they have a a service for $199 and a service for $99. Um, And also Ancestry.com has actually the same exact test. And what you're doing with those tests is it is a saliva test and you send it in, and within 23andMe or Ancestry, they'll have a um, a record of the raw data. 
the stuff that they give you is, is kind of just really generalized on, not really based on um, specifics in, well, specifics in yours, but not really actionable information, okay? Right. What what we do with the raw data is either put it through one, you know, I, I give people options, of course. We can put it through uh, Stratagene or the application at mthfrsupport.com or one of a number of other applications that are out there. The reason for that is because um, the test of 23andMe and Ancestry, I think they're looking at between 250,000 and 500,000 genes. So these computer programs pull out the polymorphisms, okay, and put them into a pattern that we can, you know, look at and see the probabilities of the function of the biochemical pathways. Uh, the better one out there is that Stratagene, which is Dr. Ben Lynch's new um Mm-hmm. new application because what it does is take the polymorphisms and put them in the pathways visually. Okay? Um, mm-hmm. So you're able to see... It's a little easier to explain the possible dysfunctions within the pathway because we're all talking about probabilities when you're talking about genetics. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? Yes, so it's the one for 199 that I want. No, no, 99, oh. 99. Take the cheap one. Oh, the, the, you're, you're paying. You're paying the extra hundred. You're paying for a lot of service you don't. You don't need. Okay, oh. ancestry and um, I apologize. That was the question you asked, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, ancestry.com and uh, 23andMe. They have the 99 dollar test. That's all you need. Okay, they're they're both oh. the same exact test. The rest of the rest oh. of it is all superfluous. Okay, so it okay. doesn't matter which which company or I mean, are they no. both the same company or okay? Well, actually, if you're going to, um, I would use Twenty Three and Me, the ninety nine dollar test, because uh, there are some applications out there that don't. I don't know why they're not. Um, the applications can't read the ancestry one, but. There must be some differences in the coding. But like I said, they're the same exact test. So if you want the length and breadth, just use 23andMe. Then okay. I don't have stock in them, unfortunately. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a uh, question here wondering about tinnitus or tinnitus. I've had a mild, mildly intermittently for years, but it's increased now with perimenopause. It seems to be permanent on low level. What are the possible underlying causes of vitamin mineral deficiencies? Well, I'll tell you that tinnitus is the bane of uh, everybody's existence. Okay, um, a lot. Of, there's a lot of reasons for tinnitus or tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears, and it can be maddening. It really can. Okay, uh, the trick here or the, the indicator is that it got it became increased with perimenopause. Okay, so with perimenopause, okay, you're talking about different hormonal changes. Okay, you're talking about um, physiologic changes that may be exacerbated by the perimenopause. Okay, uh, not necessarily caused by it, but exacerbated by it. Okay, so this is where some this is where a good history comes in and review of whatever testing you have some of the underlying causes uh can be tumors on the uh, on the nerve okay can be um toxic okay heavy metals 
uh, one of the reasons that uh, maybe not in this generation that perimenopausal or menopausal women had lead poisoning was because when exposed to lead, um, it would, if it couldn't excrete, it would start, you know, storing itself in the bones. So when we got to the perimenopausal area, okay, and osteoporosis started happening, okay, uh, that lead got released. And a lot of times uh, cognitive problems or tinnitus and things like that can be going on. Uh, there are loads and loads and loads of other underlying causes, uh, but the real trick is to work foundationally. In other words, correct what you can correct. Uh, look at the vitamin and vitamins and minerals and the biochemical pathways, your ability to, to detoxify. This is what we've been calling foundational work. If uh, you've been following the writings of my, myself and Sean and Dr. Ben, okay, where we're looking, you know, we're using the genetics as part of our assessment of somebody, but not as it as the entirety of it. So if you use the genetics as pointers as to what could possibly happen, then look at the person's history and follow along the history and what happened to find a baseline and find out where there was deviations for the baseline. Okay, you can, even if it, if it isn't a straight line, cure an awful lot of things. Okay, if you start getting the cells working again, so that detoxification can happen. Okay, if you start getting the gut working again, or the gut sealed up so that inflammation is not occurring. If you balance the neurotransmitters, so whatever uh, mood disorders go away. Okay, um, by definition, you should get rid of most things if it's inflammatory in nature. Um, but as to a real specific straight line for for um, uh, for tinnitus, that's a tough one. Okay, uh, I would personally think about uh, what your baseline is, where where that started getting worse. And I know it's in the perimenopausal area, but other things could have inflamed the nerves, Lyme disease, Lyme disease co-infections, yeast. There's a lot of considerations here. Okay, so I'm not trying to be evasive, but um, it's a whole world of uh, things that can cause inflammation. Why it's attacking the auditory nerve, not exactly sure. Okay, but when it does do that and you can't figure out if there's a direct cause, then you work on everything else, okay, and try and turn the time clock backwards. A nice person in the 609 area. Hello? Hello? Okay. Nice person in the 239 area code. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, this is Dr. Jess. What can I Hi, answer Dr. for Jess. you? I had a question. Um, I saw that, that you had said that you don't do a shotgun approach and that you don't believe really in the over versus under methylation paradigm. And I was just wondering, um, how is your viewpoint different than Dr. Mensa or Dr. Walsh and people that are doing the under-methylation and over-methylation protocols? And um, what do you look for I, I, I and how do you get, treat? I didn't get the, I'm sorry, I didn't get the last sentence. It kind of went bing. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering how your um, viewpoint is different and the kinds of things that you would look for in testing that's different than what other practitioners might look for, and how is your treatment approach Basically, what is the treatment approach that you would use 
since you're not doing overmethylation versus under, and you're looking at individualized SNPs, I'm just wondering, um, like, what your protocol would be, what kind of testing you would do, and what kinds of things you'd be looking for, and how you would treat somebody using that approach. I I I appreciate the question. I'm a little confused by the question. Um, okay. Are you are you? Uh, it seems and and correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. It seems like you're presuming that undermethylation and overmethylation is an entity. Okay, and that's one thing that I said that I don't. I feel that people will over overmethylate and undermethylate, but I don't mm -hmm. believe that it's predictable as some of the other doctors because have said so. Because I tend to get a lot of people who their protocols fail based on the presumptions they're making. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that they're bad doctors. They're not, okay? Um, mm -hmm. But it's been my clinical experience that the tendency towards over or under methylation seems to be more individualized and not as predictable. So when I look at somebody, I don't look at whether they're an undermethylator or overmethylator as much as I don't look at somebody and say they're ADD, ADHD, OCD, ODD. You know, I don't put a label on it. Okay, I always. So what do promise... you look for then? What is it that you're looking for exactly? In what particular? Like In when you words, go to treat to you... treat a patient, um, like because many of us who are asking you questions tonight, we've been to see other doctors and. Mm -hmm. We've we've done their protocols, and like you said, they don't they're mm -hmm. not always effective, especially for the difficult cases. And I'm right. one of those people who's a difficult case, so I'm okay. just wondering if I went to you. No, no, I um, I, I appreciate I appreciate for? the question, and the reason I'm 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 asking is because I wanted to make sure that I addressed your particular question. That's all. Okay. okay. The way let me let me tell you how I work. Okay. On um, first of all, I don't work by protocol. Okay, because people when you practice a protocol. Especially if you've made one yourself, like there's a lot of people who have their own methods, if you will, okay? And mm -hmm. when you go outside the protocol, uh, it gets confusing. So if you, you know, protocols are great for a certain segment of the population, okay? That's why like a, a general multivitamin, multimineral would be good for a lot of people, okay? It's when somebody's not getting better, okay, that you have to sit there and just change your thinking. So this first started out with where are we missing things? Okay. So okay. the root cause analysis, which is essentially what everybody tries to do, who's, who does what I do, okay, started with neuro, um, psychoneuroimmunology back in the 70s. Okay. And then they developed neuroendoimmunology where the uh, neurological system endocrinological system and the immune system were considered because they talked to one another. Okay, as the genetics came in, we realized that we could do, we could get a lot of data from the genetic polymorphisms, but they also weren't straight lines. So people with, you know, SNPs and MTHFR didn't necessarily have homocysteine problems, didn't necessarily have methylation problems. Okay, right. people with... Um, problems with DAO or HNMT didn't necessarily have um, histamine problems, okay? Mm -hmm. So we all went back, and, and, and I was the one that kind of sat with everybody and said, you know, instead of going forward, why don't we look back to the 1800s, you know, to Sir William Osler, who was the um, founding father of, uh, one of the founding fathers of 
Johns Hopkins Medical Center, who said, you know, if you listen to your patient, he'll tell you the diagnosis. So this is something I was doing anyway, okay, where I sat down with somebody and I said, okay, I'm going to give you a quote-unquote de novo hearing, which is what a lawyer would say if I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you without prejudice. In other words, I'm not going to assume you're an undermethylator. I'm not going to assume you're an overmethylator. I'm not going to assume that you have anything. I'm going to listen from day one forward. So I'm going to sit there and, and ask about your, you know, your parents. I'm going to sit there and ask about your grandparents. I'm going to sit there and ask, you know, how your mom's, you know, where where she lived, you know, and was she exposed to various toxins. I'm going to ask about your birth and what was known about your birth, you know, and I tend to start hearing things that give me, number one, a baseline of your physiology, okay? And I can do that without any testing. I can, I can talk to you for a half an hour and get a real good idea of what your physiology was like, okay, before it deviated, okay? Also, you'd be surprised how many birth injuries that I pick up, okay, because people don't make the connection. Okay, then I'll ask about, you know, immunizations, and I'll do a very good long history that not only tells me what your physiologic baseline is, Okay, but where, where and when it deviated. That's when I review tests and I review genes because that's how I start correlating it. And I, I had one individual in Ireland, okay, who lived in the United States, has been was six since she was seven years of age. And no one could figure out why, and she was one of, his, one of the most complex cases that I knew. So... It took me a good couple of hours, but I figured out that, you know, it kept looping back to the seven years of age, so I went back there. And as we talked, you know, I realized she told me that she used to, you know, dig a little hole under a fence with her girlfriends and go to this apple tree in the farm to steal apples, which I thought was rather cute, you know. But she and these two other girlfriends who she still stays in contact with started taking care of feral cats. And I said, hmm, how interesting. Okay, and it turns out those three people, those two other women, got all very serious chronic illnesses from that point forward. So I was able to reason out that it was a parasitic illness, okay, that started this. And something had never been considered and never treated. Okay, it's like people with chronic Lyme disease. The testing isn't as exacting, but if you listen to the history, it all points to one thing. And I've got one philosophy that I, I live by. If all the dogs are barking up a tree, don't yell at the dogs, look up the tree. The difference in what I do is I treat people, not the test. So the testing could be almost, you know, unrevealing. But if you put it together with a few other things, it makes sense. If somebody has, you know, neural upregulation, has cravings for sugar, has aldehyde pathway difficulties, okay, and I don't care. <laughs> To me, that, ad, that that says yeast, okay? That really says yeast. But the stool test may be unrevealing, may not show, you know, massive yeast. But I'm going to treat yeast, and I'm going to be right, okay? Because doctors who treat the tests usually don't get it, okay? They usually don't pick up. They're not bad. They're not stupid. That's the way they're trained. If the test doesn't say it, then it isn't there. How many times do we have people who have subclinical hypothyroidism. You know, you have a woman that comes in that's losing her hair. She can't lose weight. It's 95 degrees outside, and she's wearing a sweater. It hands you a normal thyroid test. You have to be thinking hypothyroidism. You have to know how to 
test for it differently, maybe taking your temperature every day and so forth, okay? But you can't ignore it. You can't close it down, okay? So what's the real difference in what I do? Okay, I'm a real good history taker, okay? I will find out what the problems are. And if I need to do other tests, they'll be targeted to what the what knowledge we don't have, which is why I don't require tests prior to somebody coming to the office. A lot of people call me and say, what, what, is that test? what set of tests do you want me to get? I'm like, none. Just give me what you already have. Okay, and they may be old, but I can see trends. So if we do need to know something, I'm going to target what we don't know. Okay? I, I feel like I've danced around a little bit. Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. Yes, I really appreciate that. Not a problem. Anything else I can, you can answer for you? Um. Have you treated people with bipolar or schizophrenia? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you have to realize that I'm, I'm in where I am. Thank you again for asking the question. Because I have a son with schizoaffective disorder. Okay. And um, he's doing very, very well right now. He is, in fact, my hero. Okay. He's absolutely, you know, schizoaffective disorder is bipolar disease and schizophrenia. Okay. Kind okay. of the worst case scenario. And um, I learned a lot. The reason I got so motivated in learning what I was doing uh, is to was to help my son. Okay, and believe me when I tell you, okay, God has been very, very good to me. You know, opportunities to learn, colleagues that are brilliant, okay, that have coddled me along and taught me things, and I've paid that back in kind many times. And treating bipolar disease, which is a which is a syndrome, by the way, okay, still requires you to go after the root causes to find out why the neurological system is being was is being um, injured. Okay, uh, bipolar disease is often treated by anticonvulsants. Okay, because the mechanism of seizure disorder and the mechanism of bipolar disease, if you want to think about it, the mechanism is either expressed by seizures or bipolar disease. Okay, and that was found out when they originally did the research on anticonvulsants. So if that works, that tells you that the cells are very leaky and they're depolarizing on their own without stimulus. That gives you an indication of the direction you should go. So, yes, I've treated a lot of these conditions naturally, of course, and I don't take people off their medicines. I'll work with their, <clears throat> I'll work with their prescriber. And often the psychiatrists who refer to me Okay, basically, they don't like having to put people on five, six different medicines because they have to manage them. So when I finish doing what I'm doing, I, you know, work with them and they start bringing the medicines down slowly. So somebody who is on five or six different medicines about a year later, okay, under our combined treatment, may be on one medicine, if at all, at the most minimal dosage. So that's the benefit in, in what I'm doing and, you know, is it reasonable to expect uh, 100% recovery for schizophrenia or bipolar? Or is it a lower percentage? I wish I could give you percentages on that. I really do. I'm not going to blow smoke up your proverbial skirt. Um, it's a complex condition that's uh, neurodegenerative. Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, does it take work? You bet. Okay, because by the time you get to the point where you're getting schizophrenia, which is a thought disorder, which kind of gives you an indicator of how severe the 
dysfunction is. Okay, um, it may take time to get at the root causes, which is often Lyme disease, okay, or some other condition that's causing uh, the neural degeneration. It's all based in the cell danger response uh, paper, if you ever wanted to read that. Um, is it reasonable to assume, is it reasonable to expect 100% resolution? I'd say yes, but I'll say with a caveat that it's complex. Okay, and it depends very much on individual response. Okay, and how bad you know there are people that have not been able to treat because you know they're in a they're at a in a at a point where they're you know in danger to themselves or somebody else, and um, you know it's it's not an easy answer. But have I resolved schizophrenia in some people? Yep. Which I could what say. What was 100%. the timeline for that? Like how many years did it, it take to bring them back? Now, one person took three months, you know. Um, another little girl took three or four months but just had a recurrence, okay, and um, which breaks my heart, but, you know, it um, wasn't, I don't think anything her fault. I think it just started, uh, she got either a recurrence of Lyme disease or, or her yeast infection and then threw everything off again. You know, it'd be nice if we lived in a bubble it would be easier because then I wouldn't have to deal with, we wouldn't have to deal with you and I, because this is a partnership, by the way. You can't do this by just having me give you direction. Um, this is, um, if you lived in a bubble, it'd be easy, but there's so many variables out there. You know, you can cure Lyme disease and get it, get it out of the brain, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get another bite. You know, it doesn't mean that you can't get it from somebody else because there's evidence of, you know, um, this evidence of sexual transmission, you know, it can transmit it to a baby. We don't really know all the vectors yet. Okay, there are other uh, viruses out there that a lot of things can dysregulate the system. So that's why I hawk foundational work so much because that's the that's the way you fix a cell. If you fix a cell, you fix the whole body. Okay, um, oh, it's so you not focus an on easy the cell. Thing. Yeah, everybody has to. If you don't focus on the cell, what are you focusing on? <clears throat> you know, a lot of people think that methylation happens in one place, detox happens in another. You know, um, not a cell. Detoxification, methylation, transsulfuration, all that stuff happens within the confines of a cell. The mitochondria are all sitting inside the cells. Your energy creation, energy management, waste management, all happens within a cell. So you put cells together, you get tissues. You get tissues together, you get organs. You get organs together, you got a body. Okay, the biggest mistake I think people have made, practitioners have made, is to not look at things from the cellular level. And uh, Dr. Robert Navarro, in his um, paper on the cell danger response, he's at the Metabolic and Mitochondrial Disease Center at the uh, University of Southern California Medical School, I think created a seminal work that, although it's a little complex to read, uh, it puts all together the things that injure a cell and cause the basis of disease. That work was begun with Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw back in the 70s when they started bringing out free radicals, okay, in their book Life Extension. Okay, he took that and really expounded upon it. Uh, doing this kind of work is hellishly complex. I mean, I, I talk, I joke, I make, it, I make it sound simple, I tell stories, I give overview because that's the way we should understand it is by overview. Okay, the body's 
intricately simple and simply intricate. If you give it what it needs to work, it'll work. You've got to get out of its way, though. You've got to see what's impeding it. Okay, some people think they can, like, make a pathway work. You can't make a pathway work. Okay, you can take away impediments of it. You can give the body what it needs to work. You can make sure that the body absorbs what it needs to, to work, and, and things will work. Sort of like a pump. If a pump is there and you prime it, it will work. You don't have to attend it all the time. You have to maintain it, but you don't have to attend it all the time. Okay, and you can't be too minutia, uh, minute, get into so much minutia. That's what a lot of practitioners are doing because they're used to treating from a specialty point of view. Okay, we don't have generalists anymore. We have specialists. Okay, and that's okay, and that's great, and it's necessary, but you need somebody who puts it all together. Okay, and that's what we lack. And that's what I do. Okay, well, thank you. You're most welcome. And a nice person in the 845 area code. Are you there? Hello? Yes, I am. Yes, hello. Hi. This is Dr. Jess. What can I do for you? Hi, Doctor. How are you? You know, I'm encouraged to thank you very much for having the show. And I'm, I feel a lot better hearing you. Um, <laughs> I know. Last I time was terrible. <laughs> no, I went to check in. I, I, I haven't really had any serious illnesses or anything except for uh, starting it last year in the fall. And, uh, and not, not serious. Thank, thank God. Not as bad as some people that I've seen. But the other day I went to the doctor's office and they said, what can I do for you? I said, you can find a doctor like Dr. House on television, please. <laughs> and I said, that would be for starters. I need somebody that can figure something out. I needed somebody who's a, a combination mystery writer, a scientist. <laughs> uh, and uh, the girl even started laughing. But uh, with me, I don't know. I, I feel two doctors, they've been experimenting on me. Christmas Eve, I spent eight hours in the emergency room because one of the doctors wanted Two hours worth of MREIs, I had to sit in that machine. Not not thrilled. That was the first time I ever did that. Um, but it started with like a flu, runny nose, back three weeks before Thanksgiving, two weeks before Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden it stopped running, and I started getting pain left side of my face like sinus. Inc- incredible sinus pain. So... They told me that it was uh, an infection, and they put me on amoxicillin. Two weeks or ten days, that didn't work. And I went back, and they gave me amoxicillin with something else mixed in with it. And some I don't know what the name of the other thing. That didn't do anything after four days. So I went back to them, and I said, this isn't working. This pain, if I lay down, I wake up within an hour just screaming pain. My left eye is closed, tearing. Uh, I put my hand under a faucet, whatever I could do to get rid of this. It, it's it's bad. And um, they, so they put me on Z-Pack. I think it was called Z-Pack. And, yes, and gave me, and gave me steroid, uh, steroids, some sort of steroids, and mm-hmm. momotomazone drops for my nose. And that didn't do anything. So I went to an ENT. And the ENT put the Panavision camera up in my nose. And he said, deviated septum, but I think you're suffering from Sluter's neuralgia. And I said, what, what is, I don't, I don't have any clue. And, and it said that, uh, he said, this was on the Grey's Anatomy once. It's a very rare condition. I said, oh, that's encouraging. So Hollywood's involved with my nose now. Good. That's great news. And, and he, he said, well, the, 
he said, we have to do some other tests, blah, blah, blah. He gave me, he said, what type of nose drops you're using? And, and he said, okay, I'm putting you in this other steroid, prednisone. Um, all, all right, that didn't really, it didn't help or anything. I'm still got the pain. He said, now I want you to go to a neurologist. So a week ago, I went to the, a little over a week ago, uh, I went to the neurologist and he wanted me the next day, which was Christmas Eve, to go to the emergency room and have uh, the MRI done and blood tests done. And he told me good news. And also I had a CAT scan done. Uh, there's no tumor, but we basically don't have a clue what, what's causing this pain. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to prescribe this medicine to you, uh, which will deaden the nerve endings. And so I, living in New York, I know this is involved, but... Living in New York, they've got a new gun law, and I'm a gun collector. I guess I'm one of those evil Second Amendment people. And um, and it turns out that if I had picked up this prescription, they would have given them the right in New York State to take away my gun permit and confiscate my weapons. Because the, the medicine is also used to treat bipolar and epilepsy, as well as deadly nerve pain. So I'm not going to pick that up. I'd rather bleed out my ears than have... Well, come to my you door. know, it sounds um, sounds like what you have is is one of those things that requires a bit of a conversation. What I offer people um, is uh, if you go to my website, you can schedule a a complimentary fifteen minute um, get acquainted session. Okay. The one question mm-hmm. I want to bring up to you something something new. It started about a week ago, and it's getting worse today. Uh, because the only thing that will kill this pain is if I take like the Vic Sinex and I'll squirt it like six times up in the left side nostril and then eventually it'll loosen up and I can blow my nose and then the pain starts going away and mucus comes out So, my, but I'm overusing the Vicks and now I've got edema showing up in both my legs and my my ankles and my right, that, and that's why I said this. This is a this is a big complex for the for this particular show. So right. pop over to my website, make it make a complimentary fifteen minute uh, get acquainted conference, and we can discuss it a little bit more at length. Uh, because I can think of about twenty different ways of going here, but um, I can, I'm going to have to ask you a lot of personal questions, which is inappropriate for being on the air. Right, right, okay, right. so go ahead and now do that see, for me. Now you see why I mentioned Doctor House. Yeah. Okay. But they, that's, they don't call me the Sherlock Holmes of chronic illnesses for nothing. You know. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things that, yeah. You know, I know what you need. I I know what you need, but I, it's not the, not appropriate right here. I have to talk to you personally. Okay. Okay. All right. Take care. Right, thank you. You most welcome. Hi. This is Doctor Jess. Are you still there? Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Dr. Jess. Hi, Dr. How are Jess. You? How you doing? Alrighty. Looks like you're calling from, cool. from a Go ahead, please. Oh, I just had a quick question in regards to, like, psoriasis. Yeah. Uh, currently, uh, you know, I've had psoriasis probably for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. And it started when I was younger. About, well, it started around when I was, like, 18, 19. And, uh, you know, I've had, uh, like, the light box treatments. And they didn't seem to work. And then I did em- Embryo. That worked, mm-hmm. but you know I didn't want to keep my, uh, <clears throat> I guess my immune system suppressed for it. So now they have me on like Clobex. It's like a spray, but it still doesn't, you know, get get rid of it totally, like totally. 
Okay. Um, and your question is? What do you think, like, the root problem, <clears throat> like, like, psoriasis would be from? Uh, you can, like, if I heard you, diet soda, I heard, you know, no, bread. You can, well, all of those things go into food allergies. So one of the things that is usually not treated with psoriatic patients uh, is um, what is euphemistically called leaky gut syndrome. <clears throat> now, the reason that uh, leaky gut syndrome can be a major cause here is because when what leaky gut syndrome is, the protection in your gut have been compromised for one of a number of reasons, and any of the antigens that you're putting in whether they be bread or whatever it happens to be, actually get into the basement membrane underneath the gut wall. That starts the immune system working because this thing called a macrophage will come over and start chewing on it, and then it'll take its product and bring it to a naive T cell, which will create antibodies. Okay, And the more that that happens, the more antibodies are created. So when you treat with a biologic, it's it's stopping the inf inflammation at certain stages, okay, but it's not getting anywhere near the cause of the inflammation, okay? The cause of the inflammation is what you're expressing probably genetically with psoriasis, okay? A lot of people express differently depending on lots of reasons, but you're obviously expressing with the psoriasis. And I have a colleague in England who has a very who had very has and had very severe um plaque psoriasis and what I did with her was treat her leaky gut syndrome with some you know fairly targeted approaches and uh things started clearing up rather quickly because it's the one thing that was not done okay uh if you seal the gut up if you recreate the mucus layer and help the cells re you know reform themselves and give the cells what they need to start working, then whatever antigens that you're put, that are getting in aren't going to get through. And once mm -hmm. that happens, if you prevent or slow down the antigenic entry into the body, then your body doesn't create the antibodies or the immunoglobulins, and your inflammation drops, and that expression should drop. It's usually the one thing that hasn't been done. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. So that's that's usually the reason for psoriasis. And there's a lot of guys who have a niche practice in psoriasis in alternative medicine. And essentially what they're doing is treating leaky gut syndrome. Is it, like at one point, like, it's like should I start eliminating certain foods? Or I'm glad you asked that question because the the common misconception of treating leaky gut syndrome is to treat it by diet. You can't treat leaky gut syndrome, especially one that's well-established, by simply changing your diet, okay, because the leakiness, if you will, or the hyperpermeability of the gut remains. I'll give you an example. Way back in the 60s, we used to eat just meat, you know, breakfast meats, this meat, that meat, you know, whatever. And then we had um, macrobiotics. Everybody changed over to grains. Okay, a lot of people got better, okay, but after a while, the grains started getting to people, like gluten and all other kinds of grains. Grain brain, and you hear all of that stuff now. Well, guess what? We're, what are we doing now? We're changing over to paleo, which is more like, you know, Atkins, if you will. I know there's differences. All right? But what are we doing but changing antigens? So if you are allergic to gluten, you take gluten out of your diet and put soy in, 
after a little while, you're going to get allergic to soy if you don't get to the base reason, which is the leaky gut syndrome. So you can change your diet. Okay, there's innumerable diets out there, the anti-inflammatory diets, specific carbohydrate diets, you know, uh, diet for your blood types. I mean, there's a million of them out there, okay? But it's not going to get to the base cause, and it may work for a little while, but it won't resolve the problem unless you fix the leaky gut syndrome. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. You're most welcome, my friend. Have a good night. You too. And the nice person in the 914 area code. Are you there? Hello? Always like doing this second thing. <laughs> sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. Okay. All right, let's look on the... Um, let's look on the... Okay, here's a... On the chat room. Are people over or under methylators system-wide, or is there more... Like there can be a lack of methyl groups in one place in a pathway, but too many methyl groups in some other area of the pathway. Hmm. Let's talk about methylation. Okay. Um, let me first say that the methylation pathway, as necessary as it is, is no more important than the transsulfuration pathway, which creates glutathione and conjugates glutathione. It's no more important than the electron transport chain of the mitochondria. It's no more important than the transmitters. It's no more important than yada, 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 the tricyclic acid cycle and so forth and so on and so on. Uh, on some of my podcasts that we, where I've had a PDFs, you know, I usually put all the biochemical processes of the body up and then have this little line that points to methylation. Okay, and it's sort of like that picture of the galaxy with the little line that says you are here, okay? So under methylators and over methylators, like I've, told, like I've said before, um, I, don't, I don't cotton to the term because I don't think the term are accurate. Okay, I think what we're talking about is dysfunction globally, okay, that's causing expression of genetic polymorphisms that are, or your genetic predispositions. Okay, can you have methyl groups in one part of the pathway and not in the other? Uh, what you're really talking about is enzymatic function. Okay, you can look, you can do, uh, there are methylation profiles where you can see what's being produced, where the backup is, and so forth. It's sort of like looking down a pipeline. And the way you treat that is using the cofactors. In other words, making the, making the pathway or giving the pathway what it needs to work. But it's still, that doesn't even answer the question as to why it's like that. Some of it's genetic predisposition, some, most of it's environment, because genetic loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. Okay, so I think we get to be more accurate if we look at methylation and genetics from a more global perspective. In other words, treat somebody globally, take away what's bothering them, give them what they need to heal and what they what their body needs to work, and things will simply start working. You know, I look at the pathways like highways. Okay, this is an example I give a lot of people. Okay, I look at the pathways and say, hmm, if it's green, you know, negative, negative, it's like an eight-lane highway. If it's yellow, negative, positive, or heterozygous, it's a four-lane highway. If it's red or homozygous, positive, positive, it's like a two-lane highway. Okay, so if there's no traffic, what's the big deal? You're still going to get your enzymatic function, okay? 
But if you start throwing traffic in, the two-lane highway is going to slow down quicker than the four-lane highway than the eight-lane highway. Well, there's some realities here. Can you block up an eight-lane highway? Yeah, you can. Okay, you can get enough traffic in there to block it up. Okay, and it's not going to work. So if you got yourself, you know, you were about to go on the highway and it's all blocked up from, you know, rush hour, you go off and have dinner and you come back out and guess what? The traffic's gone. Highways didn't change, just the amount of traffic has. Okay? So if you want the biochemical pathways to work, you've got to look at it from the root cause and downstream point of view. In other words, what's creating the traffic? You have to put consideration into that. Okay, and what does the what do these pathways need to work? So if you look at if you have Stratagene or if you have Dr. Ben's pathway planners, you look in between the pathways and you can see the things that will slow it down. You will see things that will speed it up. You'll also see all the cofactors. And you're going to come to the conclusion that I came to a long, long time ago. Okay, when I started looking at all these different cofactors, and I said, well, look at that B1, B2, B3, B5, B9, B12, you know, uh, magnesium, zinc. By the way, you need all of it, okay? And if you give the body what it needs in a manner in which it can absorb it, and you give the body what it needs to repair its cell walls, which is a, another big issue that has been, you know, gone over that nobody pays attention to, or very few people do, okay, the body will really heal itself, okay? We even talk about leaky gut and the, and the, um, <clears throat> the tight junctions. Tight junctions are not the issue. Cellular function is the issue because those tight junctions, you can't pull them apart, okay? If you could, you'd, <laughs> your cells would just separate, okay? Well, you start killing off the cells and those tight junctions will loosen up. So the problem is not the tight junctions, but it's the damage to the cell. When you damage a cell, it releases cytokines, which makes white blood cells come in and tear up the area and give it, pull that cell apart, okay? It has nothing to do with the tight junctions per se, okay? But the bigger picture is cellular function and cellular regeneration. That's why foundational work or foundational treatment, which is a term you're going to be hearing more and more and more and more and more of, okay, because I'm going to be pushing it this year like crazy, okay, is the way to heal people. Because without your basic cellular functions, you're not going to heal. That's why the common wisdom survive. I'm sorry, nobody can heal from Lyme disease. Nonsense. Absolute, unmitigated nonsense. You're trying to tell me you can't get rid of an infection, and here's how you can't get rid of it. Well, let's say you had, uh, had a bunch of infections, and your homeostatic mechanisms don't work. Those things that normally heal you because your cells aren't working very well. And again, if you read the cell danger response paper, it proves this on a scientific basis. Okay, so now you have you know, a microbial problem or a yeast problem and or a parasitic problem. So if your immune system is not working well, if your cells aren't working well, your immune system's not working well, your antibiotics or antimicrobials, we'll use a general term, kill all the bugs. Okay, they just bring it down to a point where the immune system can get the rest of it. Okay, so if you have strep throat, okay, whatever you're taking is not going to kill all of the beta hemolytic strep. It's going to bring the numbers down to the point that your body your immune system, hopefully, will scarf up the rest of it. Most of us have multiple things. So we may have yeast, we may have parasites, and we may have, you know, microbial illnesses. So you take an antibiotic, 
bringing down to a certain point, then you say, oh, let's go after the fungi. So you t- start taking something like nystatin or anything natural. But in the meantime, the uh, microbes start growing. You stop with the fungus. The fungus starts growing again. You're going after the parasites. It is a – you're chasing your tail. Okay, unless you get the body working again and treat the root causes, which may be microbial and so forth and so on, the body won't heal. Okay, the biggest glitch that I've seen in my now 41 years of practice is a lack of foundational treatment, a lack of what's called bioterrain treatment, a lack of getting the body, giving the body what it needs to work in a manner that's absorbable and paying attention to that, decreasing inflammation by eradicating not only what the root cause is, but what the root cause has done to the body, like leaky gut syndrome. Okay, it, it's not really as complex as it seems. It's just that no one's doing it. No one's considering it because we have that specialty mindset. So in the methylation pathway, if you want things to work, okay, do we need methyl donors? Well, we've got plenty of them in our diet. Okay, what we need is function of the pathways. And a way to get function of the pathways is, as I've said, with foundational work and consideration, okay, towards getting what the root causes are and treating what those root causes have done to the body. Now that I've gotten on my um, soapbox, there was another one up here, too. I also heard that some of the SNPs can affect both the tendency for leakiness and the type of microbes that tend to grow in that gut. Um, there are a few SNPs that, I think it's SHMT and, and a few others, that would tend to be the precursors for leaky gut. And I, I was just reading about the FUT2 non-secretor status um, and... Peter Didamo, who is um, who is the founder of that, okay, was talking about the effect on bifidobacterium. Okay, something that I'm studying a little bit more about right now. Okay, but um, I think the the greater scheme here is that um, damage to the gut by toxins by stress. Remember that damage to a cell. What damages the cell damages the gut, so it's equally toxins, you know, um, heavy metals and volatile chemicals and glyphosates and so forth, microbes, whether they be parasitic, viral, fungal, so forth, and psychological stress, which we tend to fob off as being, oh, you just can't handle your life. Well, guess what? It's been proven on a scientific basis that psychological stress, PTSD, being yelled at, you know, non-nurturing environments, so forth and so on, guess what, damages the cell just as badly as Lyme disease, just as badly as mercury, okay, and it's been proven on a scientific basis. So guess what, a lot of stuff has got to be handled, okay, and you need somebody. And you know, a lot of stuff you can handle generally, but you know, like the gentleman I spoke to before, you need a doctor house. You need people who are willing to take the time to go through the history, to go through the testing without and do what the old time family doctor did. Okay. Treated what treated the person, what was actually going on, not what the test said. Okay. But what was going on with the person, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of training to do exactly that. Okay. And that's 
what I do. That's what people like Sean do. That's what Dr. Ben is now promulgating. Okay, uh, and that's been a big change for him, and I'm you know really you know happy to be part of his group. Um, but <laughs> I was a guy for years screaming, "Hey, let's treat the person, not the snip." Okay, it's finally coming together. Um, this upcoming year, not only you know are we going to be adding health coaching, okay, uh, the the concept of foundational medicine or foundational treatment, we're going to put it into high gear and start teaching it to providers all around the world. Um, presently, I'm part of creating a um, certification course in England with the um, of one of the colleges there. And uh, what we're doing is utilizing many different um, resources and creating a practitioner who's not only been trained in what we're going to be calling, what I'm going to be calling foundational work, or what I used to call bio-individualized medicine, but not only trained in it, like they took a course and they get on a list, but are actually going to be mentored and have to be vetted so that the person that goes on a particular list, you can look at it and say, hmm, they know what they're doing. And those people are going to have backup, you know, other people that they're going to be able to talk to so they can take, so they can fix these very complex multifactorial cases. Okay, there's a lot more of them than you think. There are a lot of people out there suffering from chronic illness, and they're being called having either ME or chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. Those are all nonsense terms. Those are, those are syndromes, okay? And why don't they want to go after the root causes, okay? Why doesn't Big Pharma want to go after the root causes? Well, guess what, guys? You know, there's no – I'll give you an example. There's no money in curing cancer, but there's plenty, money, plenty of money in treating cancer. There's no money in curing diabetes, okay, but there's plenty of money in treating it. Our system supports the maintenance of chronic illness, not its cure. I'm out to change that. Okay, this is why I've done these podcasts since the end of November 2013. This is why I have so many listeners, which I'm finally getting back to doing my podcasts. Okay, because I started with the presumption that chronic illness does not mean permanent. And chronic illness can be a lot of different things, autoimmune diseases, mood disorders, thought disorders, chronic fatigue, chronic pain, and I can go on and on and on and on and on. What I can tell you is that there is a base. Okay, and that base is the foundational work that we're going to be pushing. Okay, because that is what's not being done. Even the treatment of leaky gut syndrome, a lot of people say, oh, I treat leaky gut syndrome. They do it kind of halfway. I'm presuming they simply don't know. Okay, I'm presuming they simply don't know that they need to use digestive enzymes. They need to use substances to recreate the mucus layer and recreate the cell wall integrity and do proper probiotics to repopulate the gut. Okay, because if you use probiotics and you don't have a mucus layer, (laughs) that's where they live. Okay, and guess what? A prebiotic that's within the probiotic, there's not enough in it to, to create that mucus layer. And it's really simplistic or simple concepts, but unfortunately, not a lot of people are paying attention to it, and people are remaining ill. So if you don't fix a leaky gut or you try and fix it just by diet, let's say, all you're doing is changing antigens. Okay, it'll eventually catch up with you. Okay, and that's why we're in the position we're in right now. If we started fixing leaky gut way back when, a lot of these inflammatory problems would be not here. And autoimmune diseases are secondary to upregulated immune systems. 
Okay, dysautonomia is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, orthostatic intolerance, yada, 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 yada. All the dysfunctions of the autonomic nervous system are coming from chronic inflammation and receptor dysfunction. Okay, and where is the biggest creator of that or the thing that continues it is leaky gut syndrome. So what's the risk-benefit factor of properly treating leaky gut syndrome? Is there any risk? I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Good luck. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, but what's the risk of treating leaky gut syndrome properly? Absolutely nothing. What's the benefit? Vast. You want to figure out if you should do something? Evaluate the risk-benefit factor. If there's no risk and a probability, which is higher than 50%, a benefit, then you go with it. You do a trial of it, okay? And what I've noticed is that this foundational work that I keep screaming about is what's not being done. We're concentrating too much on the genes. We're concentrating too much on minutia, okay? And I don't know. I think that's just because it's our nature, everybody, me included, okay? But we need to step back. We need practitioners and people to step back and look at the bigger picture and say, hey, you know, it's not making any sense. I'm not getting any better, okay? I'm still waiting for anybody. Anybody else wants to call? We have about 12 minutes left, and... The number is 646-595-2277. If you're in the uh, chat room and there's a bunch of people in the chat room, please feel free to uh, type in some questions, okay? Um, yeah, I was, I was talking with a, with a colleague earlier today um, about this foundational medicine approach, and it was her um, advice that, you know, I start maybe – there's a lot of people with niche practices. You know, they have uh, – they go after the adrenals or they um, – you know, they, they treat psoriasis or whatever. And I'm like, okay, uh, but <laughs> I treat very generously, you know. Um, I treat very <clears throat> generally, sorry. Uh, but the foundational work that I'm, that I'm talking about, what needs would, would it address? Well, it is what either causes or continues almost all of the autoimmune diseases to include Hashimoto's, Raynaud, uh, Raynaud's, um, rheumatoid arthritis, and so forth and so on. It is one of the main reasons for neurotransmitter imbalances. So there are all your mood disorders to include depression, anxiety, uh, obsessive-compulsive behavior, okay, uh, oppositional defiance disorder, and so forth. It is the major reason for chronic fatigue syndrome, or ME, okay, and is a major reason for chronic pain. So I don't know if I should practice like that, but um, I think I'm going to just keep teaching people and teaching practitioners that they should look at things more globally. Um, Let me go all the way to the top because I thought I answered all the questions. Let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I apologize for missing these questions. Uh, Let's see. Why did it pop to the bottom? One more time. All the way at the top here, so I can answer this question here. And I'll hold on to it. Uh, Sean, I think you mentioned there was a more indirect way of healing the gut. Could you tell us about this indirect method? Also, how does it use, How long does it usually take to heal a leaky gut? Once the gut is healed, does it tend to stay healed? Really good questions. I don't know what, t- but I don't know what Sean is talking about about an indirect way. Okay. Um, uh, he may be 
presuming something uh, as being direct. But let me tell you, um, let me tell you how to fix a leaky gut. You fix a leaky gut by certainly by you know uh, doing the normal dietary, you know, staying off gluten, casein, that kind of stuff. Okay, because usually you'll be flaring things up. Uh, usually there's a need for digestive enzymes so you can break down the food. There's a need for demulcent herbs to recreate a mucus layer. Um, you need to help recreate the cell wall, which can be done with uh, liposomal phospholipids or uh, something like colostrum or something like glutamine, depending on the individual situation. And the choice of probiotic is, is very individualized based on somebody's um, particular um, uh physiologic standing and whether they have a lot of yeast and so forth and so on. So how long does it usually take to fix a gut? Um, generally speaking, it takes around three months. Okay. But I've seen where it takes six months, a year. It all depends on what you're fighting. If you're fighting dysbiosis at the same time, okay. Um, you're going to have to deal with the dysbiosis. Whether you deal with the dysbiosis first last or at the same time is a clinical decision. I, I get this one all the time. If you don't deal with a dysbiosis, the leaky gut comes back. Dysbiosis can be anything from yeast infections to parasitic illness and anything that's not the normal biota, SIBO, whatever, whatever. Okay. Uh, but it's a clinical decision that you make with your patient of how you treat that. Fixed, let's say. Everything's fixed. Can it come back? Of course you can. Okay, you <laughs> put yourself under a lot of stress. Okay, the environment is not exactly the cleanest environment in creation. Okay, so that we're going to get exposed to toxins. We're going to get exposed to microbes. We're going to get exposed to a whole lot of different things. Okay, so the tendency for leaky gut would be to come back. Okay, but once you got it fixed and you do some maintenance work, you know, and sometimes that means you know, certain dietary things. It, again, it's very individualized. The probability of it coming back is less. And you also start recognizing the much earlier signs of it. So treating it at an early stage is a whole lot easier. A nice person in the 717 area code. Are you there? I am here. Okay. We have a few minutes left. What can, what can I answer for you? I was calling to see if you've had uh, much experience treating migraines. Well, I've got a ton of experience. I've been a chiropractor for over 30 years. You know, I've been in, um, been a healthcare provider for 41. Yeah, <laughs> migraines. Uh, I will tell you one little secret. Okay, if you take a neurologist out and get him very, very, very drunk, okay, he will tell you that most migraines are not migraines. Okay, they're usually cervical headaches. But your true migraine is a neurohormonal issue. Um, migraines are treated best by treating the triggering mechanisms, okay? No one can cure a migraine, okay? You can treat a migraine while you're having it, but you can't cure a migraine. You can control all the triggers, okay? Because a migraine, a migraine headache is a neurohormonal cascade event. So... Once you develop that pathway, a certain amount of stimulation is going to set you off on that pathway. Okay, if you get at all the triggers, okay, that pathway never gets stimulated, so you don't get the migraines. Uh, that pathway is called a facilitated, uh, facilitated neurological pathway. It's sort of like a rut. 
that if you had a um, you know wheelbarrow back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you create a rut. The less you use it, the less you evoke it, the, that rut begins to fill in after a while, and it takes more and more and more, or stronger and stronger and stronger stimulation to evoke the migraine. So whereas in one time of your life, if you drank a cup of coffee, let's say, if that was a trigger, it would set off a migraine. Later on, after fixing a leaky gut and, you know, not evoking these triggers, you know, a little bit of coffee or some coffee wouldn't set you off, but a lot of stress might. Okay, so treating a migraine, the true way of doing it is getting at all the triggering mechanisms, okay, fixing those, okay, and stopping the initiation of the cascade, okay, and then as you're fixing the body over time, okay, the tendency to have migraines becomes less and less and less, but you'll always maintain the migraineous tendency. You know, the, the tendency to have migraines will be there, okay, and you have to recognize that. Uh, and then dysfunction is what sets it off. Did I answer your question? Are you there? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> okay. What part did I not answer? Um, I don't, I was, um, I've been curious late about inflation uh, and genetics and all I'm having a little trouble hearing you. Could you repeat yourself, please? I've been investigating the genetic factors and mentholation and SNPs and all that kind of thing recently, and I was wondering if testing uh, or anything like that would be beneficial. Yes, in the following manner, so that you understand. Understand. By having your genetic polymorphisms and knowing what pathways may not work at their optimum under an oxidative stress load, okay, gives you a heads up of what may occur, okay, um, if you stress a certain pathway. So if your aldehyde pathway does not look well and, and you have a yeast problem, you're going to have you know, a lot more aldehydes or a lot more of acetaldehyde or formaldehyde, and that may set off migraines, okay? If your uh, mitochondrial pathway looks suboptimal and you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, a lot of oxidative stress that can come from a lot of different things, that may be a reason what will set off the migraine uh, cascade, okay? So is it beneficial to understand the genetics? Is methylation involved? It may or may not be. Okay. Are there? Do you need somebody who understands all the pathways and can help you, you know, change your or normalize your physiology? Okay, because that's what nutrigenomics is: is normalizing your genomic pathways with nutraceuticals and nutrients. Okay. Uh, yeah, it can be very helpful. Okay. It also can get into those areas um, that confuse people. Okay, in other words, why aren't I getting better? Okay, sometimes the genes, and very often they can elucidate or bring to light those areas that, you know, have not been considered. That's their major benefit. Hope you're still there. I don't even hear you breathing. Okay, I think maybe I lost Can you hear me now? Oh, thank you. Yeah. 
Okay, I think I'm going to call and schedule one of those uh, 15-minute preliminary uh, meetings. Good idea, because then you can ask uh, better questions and I can hear you better. Great. Okay, thank you. Looking forward to you. You're most welcome, dear. Okay, let's see. Oh, oh well, guys. I only got 90 seconds left, so anyway, guys, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, thank you for a very good year, okay? Uh, anybody who wants to chat with me, I do do the 15-minute uh, um, get, get, get Acquainted conferences. Just go to my website, drjessarmine.com, and click on Become a Patient. You can schedule that. It's totally free. And um, I want to uh, thank you all. In the 60 seconds I have left, I want to thank you all for um, for all of your support. Um, you know, you have made uh, this dream of mine, you know, come to light. I've been helping a lot of people. Um, and believe it or not, this whole concept of, you know, utilizing genetic correctly, this foundation work, doesn't really come from me. It's you guys who are bringing it to your practitioners and saying, hey, you know, you said I couldn't get better. I can get better, you know. So uh, I just want to say thanks. And um, we're going to continue our uh, podcast. Uh, just keep an eye out. If you've not been to my website, come up to the website. Give me your um, email address. You'll get your 20, you know, 23andMe, how to read your 23andMe without going crazy. Okay, is a free video that I'll send you. Okay, and you'll be, you know, getting my newsletters and so forth and finding out what's happening. So 10 seconds left. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, uh, everybody have a great new year. And don't forget... If nobody's told you they love you today, Dr. Jess does. Take care, guys. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here And I can feel the change